0: Lord God, we come before you today. We thank you so much for bringing us together. Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful weather outside. We thank you for the time we can have to just set this time aside for you, Lord God, to worship you and to sit at your feet, to hear your word. And Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would be in the message that you would speak to us and open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to your word. And we thank you for this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, When I uh, turned uh, 40 some years ago, I had a scheduled optometrist appointment, the yearly checkup to check my eyes and stuff. And so I remember I went to the optometrist, and he saw that I turned, you know, I, I was in my 40s now. And so he asked me, because I'd never seen him before. And he asked me, so uh, do you have problems seeing up close? I said, no, uh, I I don't have problems seeing up close. My issue is distance, reading from the distance. And uh, he said, well, the reason why I ask is because when you turn 40, usually by that point, your vision starts to decline. And you start having problems seeing up close. And I was personally offended by this question. Because I wanted to deny that I'm ever getting to the point in age where I'm getting to the age where my physical body and is declining. So I adamantly said, nope, that's not me. I don't have a problem sitting up close. It's just the distance. You know, I've been needing glasses for some years, you know, and I, I, that's how I use it. But no, 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 it's not me. So, okay, okay. Just checking, just asking. Maybe he sensed I was a little He's like, just asking, Okay. But uh, in the back of his mind, I know he's saying, just give it time, right? So I got my prescription, I got everything together, got home, word contacts, all that stuff, everything's great. About a week or two later, I'm going to read something and I'm having to do this, kind of hold it back for a second. And then I realize, no no way and i realized i'm having problems seeing up close well the issue was for my contacts in order to be effective for me to see in distance it impairs me for my short my short term my nearsightedness so when i wear my contacts i'm wearing my contacts now i can read clearly from the distance but if I'm looking down, if you notice if I take a step back, it's because I can't see it as clearly. I found out, Jamie told me later, well, you know what you need is you need these. You need reading glasses. The reading glasses now, it's like, it's like I'm seeing it in 4K right now. If I take it off, I'm seeing it like, you know, the old TVs that we had without cable and all the stuff, the picture was ever. And the reason why I don't wear these now, because these would be my correct lenses to see up close, is because frankly, I don't, I don't like the idea of having to read with reading glasses. Because I associated reading glasses, these are like the budgets, there's like a big echo, there's like a budget um, section in stores, right? And I always associated that for people of older age than what I am now. And so I kind of like defy having to use these even though I need them because they're not the reading glasses I need, right? These aren't the right content. Even though they are the lenses that I need to use, I refuse to use them oftentimes here because I don't want to keep taking it on and, and off. But... I'm at that age, right? So I'm at that age now where I need the right lenses to see clearly whether it's distance or up close. If we're able to see with proper lenses, we can see things clearly. But if we're not looking with proper lenses, things can be a little blurry. I don't know about you, but when things happen in our life, a lot of times we want to find meaning and purpose in the things that happen in our life, right? One of the big quests that we all have, one of the basic needs we all have as people is the need for meaning and purpose. And when we don't, when we struggle to find meaning and purpose in the situations in our life, whether it's isolated moments or the bigger picture in our life, we can, we can be frustrated with that, right? You all feel me? You all, you can experience that before too, right? Well, I've used two analogies in my time here and two analogies that you've, you've heard me use many times over. One is puzzles and football, right? I use those two metaphors a, a lot. Puzzles are little pieces, jigsaw puzzles, little pieces that come together, and make a bigger picture, right? And I said before that one of my favorite kind of puzzles is photomosaic puzzles, Photo mosaic puzzles are these, the individual pieces, inside the pieces, they're their own individual picture or individual scene, right? But when you put all the individual scenes together, it makes a puzzle. And that's one of the puzzles I did, one of my first photo mosaic puzzles of Winnie the Pooh, right? That was a fun one to do, because I saw little scenes of Winnie the Pooh, but you put it together, it makes one scene. What you don't see up there, or you may not be able to see, is that there's one piece missing. That was frustrating. Another analogy I've used was football, right? I've talked about how in football you have scoring drives, right? The offense wants to score and the defense wants to prevent the score from happening, right? But if you're on offense, in order to successfully score or have a successful play, each play is composed of individual battles, The wide receiver has to get open against the cornerback. The offensive linemen are going up against the defensive line. So the offensive line has to successfully beat the defensive line and protect the quarterback, and so on and so on. So each play is composed of individual battles, if you will, individual confrontations. And in order for that to come to play, all has to come to play. You have to have some successful things, right? What am I getting at? All these little things make up a bigger picture. And if we want to have clarity, sometimes we get caught up in the blurriness of an individual moment. And we may not realize that the meaning and purpose sometimes can be found when you see a bigger picture that's going to come about. And we're going to see examples of that today where there's going to be individual moments. And you may wonder, what's the significance of this one individual moment? Perhaps the people in the moment may not realize what's the meaning and purpose of what's going on right now. But what we're going to see is that you take a step back and you see a bigger picture. That in those individual moments, God has a miraculous way of taking a moment and making it into meaningful and purpose for his bigger picture or intent. So we're going to take a look at that today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Pick it up in verse 1. And like I said, I would normally want to put them on my reading glass to see it, but I refuse. I'm stubborn. In those days again... When there was a great multitude and they had nothing to eat, he calls his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their home, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a distance." And the disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough to satisfy those men with bread here in a desolate place? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the multitude to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them, and started giving them to his disciples sorry, he lost my place, to serve to them. And they served them to the multitude. And they also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he ordered them to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. And about 4,000 were there. And he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanitha. And the Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving them, giving orders to them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves of the five for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? And they said to him, Twelve. And when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, Seven. And he was saying to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him, and entreating him to, to touch him. And taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands upon him, He asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I am seeing them like trees walking about. Then again he said, or he laid his hands upon his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored, and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village." Now, a lot to take in there. Now, if you read each of these isolated moments in its own isolated segments, you may look at it and be like, why why mention these things? They may seem, at first read, a little random, right? But if you put it all together, you're going to see that Jesus isn't just meeting the needs in the moment, but he's doing so much more. So we're going to take a look at that. And we're going to look at this whole passage. We're going to look at it in three parts, right? The first part, we're going to see Jesus feeding the multitudes of the, the 4,000. And then we're going to see how the Pharisees challenge Jesus. But then we're going to see how Jesus challenges the Pharisee or the disciples. And then lastly, we're going to look at the miracle of how he heals this blind man. Okay, so we're going to take a look at this. and We're going to start off looking at the feeding of the four. Now, if you look at it, if you're with us in the previous, we're going to see how there's a lot of similarities with how he fed the 5,000, right? If you remember that. So the stories may seem so similar because, you know, even scholars, they look at it, and some scholars look at it as a repeating of the same miracle. As if Mark is repeating but just accentuating other themes, but I, I don't think that's the case. We're going to see there's distinctives with this miracle compared to the other one. So we're going to take a look at the two miracles side by side. And we're going to see there's very distinct characteristics of both. One of them, excuse me. We saw in the first of the 5,000, Jesus felt compassion on the people as he was coming in and he saw the multitudes waiting for him, right? We saw that he had compassion, he felt compassion for them. Here in the 4,000, Jesus, Jesus says, I feel compassion for the multitudes, because they've been with me for three days and they haven't had anything to eat. And so he didn't want to send them away without food, lest they faint on the way, because they've been traveling many from a long distance. So you see the difference of how Jesus showed, or when Jesus showed compassion. The disciples, in the feeding of the 5,000, they bring up the time, And they tell Jesus to send the people away so that they can eat. It's been a long day. But here, Jesus acknowledges the the, the multitudes' need for food after three days. In the 5,000, the disciples question how they can afford to buy enough food for everyone, right? They ask, how can we afford... All to to buy the food for everybody here we see mark points out with the 4,000 the disciples question how they'll find enough food for all the people five loaves and two fish are used to feed the 5,000 here we see seven loaves and a few fish are used to feed the 4,000 Jesus looked up toward heaven, blessed the food, and broke the loaves. Here, Mark describes Jesus gave thanks and distributed the bread, and Jesus blessed the fish and distributed the fish. The disciples set the food before the people, and also here, the disciples also served the multitude. So in both instances, we see the disciples serving the multitudes. We also see in both instances, both places were described as desolate places. The multitude all ate and were satisfied in both instances. And then thirdly, after both miracles, Jesus and the disciples sailed away across the sea. So you see there's some parallels, but there's also some distinct differences with these miracles. And so when you compare the two, we saw in the five feeding of the 5,000, There's some distinctives that give it a very much a Jewish tone to this scene when he fed the 5,000, if you remember me mentioning this, right? How Jesus had compassion on the multitude as sheep as without a shepherd, right? And if you're a Jewish audience, this would be very, it would press some buttons. It would be very familiar because they're used to being described as God's sheep, Israel is referred to as sheep by the Lord in Psalms and in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. Jesus sent the disciples to only go to the lost sheep of Israel. We see that in Matthew 10, 6. And then also Psalm 23, a psalm we all Remember, I'm sure, right? Psalm 23, the good shepherd. The shepherd leads his people to green grass, right? To green pastures. And we saw in that miracle, Jesus led the multitude to a green area of grass so they can eat. So there's a very distinct Jewish tone about Jesus being the shepherd and here are the sheep. We saw in the 5,000, Jesus specifically arranged that multitude and he grouped them together in hundreds fifties. Now again for the Jewish mind this might seem familiar because Moses dealt with the Israelites in Exodus. We see it in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. He dealt with them in groups of hundreds and fifties and tens. So perhaps this might be a little bit of uh, uh, kind of like ring a bell for them. But also he arranged that multitude and rec- said recline, lean back, recline in banquet style like in a party style fashion. So they were organized in a manner, right? Jesus did that with the 5,000. We saw that afterwards there was 12 baskets full of bread and fish. That idea of 12 is very significant, right, in the Jewish mind. Even the baskets that was used at the time was a common basket that Jews would use as traveling, they would maybe pack a small lunch, right? I don't know how many of you, you kind of have like a lunch box or something like that. You pack for your lunch when you go to work. Maybe you put some little things in there for your journey or your travels. So there was these little baskets that they would use, that Jewish people would use. It was very common when they went somewhere to pack a little lunch, pack the little things there. And so again, of course, the 12 tribes of Israel. So this idea of 12, a very Jewish number if you're into numerology and meaning behind it. So that's very significant. So a very Jewish theme with the 5,000. Here with the feeding of the 4,000, there's also some distinctives, right? We see this miracle taking place in a Gentile region of Decapolis, the people aren't instructed in a certain manner, but Jesus just has them sit down on the ground together. Just, just everybody just grab a seat. They're not arranged in this party style as described with the 5,000. He's like, everybody just grab a seat, right? We see in this miracle, seven large baskets are filled with leftovers, and even the basket themselves, it's a different basket. This word that Paul, or Mark uses here is a term for a larger basket. Right? It's, not, it's distinct from the baskets that was described in the other miracle. Uh, this type of basket is used in Acts 9.25. This basket was used to lower Paul down, to escape. But this idea of 7 again if you're kind of into studying numbers 7 is often used as meaning a number of completion right of completion 7 days of creation 7 days in the week so 7 is often used as a number of completion So looking at this isolated moments Right, So if the feeding of the 4,000 distinct from the 5,000, what can we look at from this individual moment? Well, obviously we see Jesus had compassion. Jesus had compassion for the people. We also see the commitment on the people, right? The people stayed with Jesus for three days without sufficient food. They stayed with him to hear him teach. Now, I appreciate you all. I appreciate that you all are willing to sit and stay for 30, 40 minutes of a message. For some people, that's like asking a lot. 30 minutes, Pastor Mike, it's getting a little bit late. I appreciate when you're sticking around respectfully and you're, you're sticking around for 40 minutes of a message. I don't take that for granted. Can you imagine for three days? How about we try, next Sunday, we're going to try a three-hour sermon. How about that? I don't hear an amen. I'm not even saying amen, right? Can you imagine three days of just wanting to hear and see Jesus? I don't care about food. Yeah, my stomach's growling a little bit, but after a while you don't even pay attention. I remember when I was in college, I really wanted to get get focused on my relationship with God. And I would go to these conferences that was like most of the day. And most of the day, I would hear like half a dozen pastors preach on a particular topic. And it would be like six sermons. And we're not talking about 15-minute sermons, 20-minute sermons. We're talking like 40-minute sermons each at least. And I loved it. It was awesome. Because I'm sitting there hearing the Word of God preach. And I took notes and wrote down notes. It's an incredible thing. See, my desire for all of us, you know, I know my message, the sermons may be a little long. This might be a little long because it's a big passage. But my desire isn't to give a long message but I want to give honor to the passage that's given to me, right? So I don't want to cut corners and stuff, but really my desire isn't about me coming up with what sermon. My desire for all of us is that you have a growing hunger for God's word. It's not about me or any particular pastor, but that you have a growing hunger and desire to hear the word of God. I want to hear it. Whether it's me or anybody else, it's not about the person. But you want to hunger and hear and study the Word of God. That's a sign of growth and maturity in your relationship with the Lord. See, Jesus recognized these people. They stayed three days, and He had compassion for them. He didn't want to send them away without food. So we see Jesus' compassion. We see the commitment of the people. But I don't think that's the bigger meaning in this story, in this situation. We'll get to that in a second. The next scene we see, immediately Jesus and the disciples leave and they sail across to the other district. And here Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees. But this time they came ready to argue. They're ready. They came to fight. They came testing him. And they demanded a sign from him. A sign from heaven. In other words, if you are legit, Jesus, if you are who you are claiming you are, give us a sign from heaven. Give us proof. How does Jesus respond? Sighs deeply. In his spirit. Have you ever sighed deeply? That's a sign of exasperation. Have you ever heard that from your parents? That means, uh, again. Older brother, older sister, the younger sibling, they're exasperated. Jesus says, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And leaving them again, Jesus and the disciples left. I don't know if you've ever encountered this situation, perhaps, when you're talking with an unbeliever. You're trying to share about God. And they're asking these questions upon questions. They want proof. Give me proof that I should believe in the Bible. Give me proof that I should believe in Jesus. And you answer their questions. But their response is only to give more questions. Right? They shift. You give them a response. And then they, well, what about this? What about this question? And all they do is ask for more questions. See, in situations like this, it's usually not about the proof they need, and oftentimes times like this, their hearts have been hardened to the truth. They're usually not really seeking truth, because sometimes truth is uncomfortable. Sometimes truth is hard for us to hear, it's hard for us to admit. And oftentimes in those discussions, people really don't want to hear the truth. They just want to hear what's comfortable for them to believe. See, in this time, when the Pharisees came to demand for, uh, for proof, Jesus said, no sign will be given to you. Why does your generation seek for the sign? And he goes and he leaves. He said, all right, I'm done. No more proof is needed. Jesus didn't need to do anything more for them. It's interesting how people have the audacity to demand God to give them some proof, right? So many people, God, if you're real, show me a sign. Can you imagine if kids did that to parents? One day, Sally goes up to his dad. I use the name Sally. I don't think there's anyone named Sally here. If there's a Sally listening, it's not about you. But can you imagine, little Sally or young Sally goes up to mom or dad, say, "Daddy, give me a car for my sixteenth birthday. If you really love me, if you're really my daddy, you would give me a car. If you're a parent, how would you respond?" Would you say, and maybe you would feel like saying, Sally, go to your room. (laughs) I don't want to hear it. What did you you just ask me to prove my love to you by giving you a car? Right? Your response would probably not be kind of like what we heard in the workshops. (laughs) Oh, Sally, I love you. I hear what you're saying but I want you to know I love you anyways. Your response would probably, how dare you go to your room? But see, we have a tendency like this with God and our faith, to boost up our faith by God providing some kind of sign, some kind of proof, some kind of wonder and all those kind of things. And I've warned us before, To not rely on the signs and wonders, the miracles that God can do as the basis for your faith. Because Jesus doesn't need to do anything more in our life to prove who He is, He doesn't need to do anything more in our life for us to believe and trust in Him. So, Jesus goes on, and we see a shift in the scene, and we see a familiar scene in the story. Jesus goes from the Pharisees questioning him, and now he's alone in the boat with the disciples. And now he is going to question the disciples. He goes on and he asks, oh, he tells them, he warns them, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. Jesus warns them and he gives this double warning. He says, watch out, beware, this repeated emphasis. And he warns them about the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, what is he warning them about? We saw that the Pharisees have shown their hardened hearts, right, in the previous passages. Jesus called them out on their hypocrisy, on their unbelief. So they showed the hardness of their hearts. They failed to recognize the power of God and what Jesus was doing. Instead, they were stubborn. We saw in the report of John the Baptist's death how Herod has his, had his own hardened heart. John the Baptist warned him about his relationship, his marriage, that it was sinful. But Herod refused to hear John the Baptist. He refused, he heard the reports of what Jesus was doing, but he certainly did not recognize what Jesus was doing was of God. So what is Jesus warning them? He uses this analogy of yeast. What is yeast or or leaven, right? When you bake bread, you put a little bit of yeast and that yeast fills the dough to leaven and it, it affects, it helps the bread rise. What Jesus is using in this, in this metaphor of yeast, beware, beware of their hypocrisy, beware of their hardness of hearts, because it's going to affect you. So how do the disciples respond? They heard Jesus, but what was their response? They talked about bread, They said, oh, yeah, okay, Jesus. Speaking of bread, hey, did anyone bring any more food? And they talked and they saw, they found that they didn't bring anything more than one loaf of bread. Jesus goes and he responds. See, he saw, look, look, I'm talking about this warning and you heard the word bread. And then that's all you can think of. Ever heard that Postmates commercial? Right on the radio or TV, when all you can think about is burgers, and this is all Postmates, right? When all you can think about is food, sometimes that's all you can think about. I need to be careful next time when I do a sermon, I start off with pictures of food, huh? Perhaps when I pick up, I put pictures of good food, maybe the rest of the sermon, all you can think about is, yeah, lobster does sound kind of good. For lunch, maybe we need to go and get some I don't know, beef noodles, whatever it is. And So for the disciples, they heard bread, and all they could think about is bread. And Jesus responds and says, Hey, why are you arguing about bread? Now, there's certain ways parents ask their kids questions, right? If they're asking questions a certain way, They ask their children something. Hey, did you not see the trash cans full in the kitchen? Hey, did you not turn off the lights when you left the room? Are they really asking you the questions because they want to know your answer? No. (laughs) They're asking a question of judgment. They're saying, hey, you didn't take out the trash. Hey, you forgot to turn off the lights. Did you not see it, right? Jesus asks a question, but he knows the answer. He's pointing out the fact that, hey, you are not listening. You are not hearing, nor are you seeing. Look at what Jesus question, How many series of questions he has for the disciples. He first asks them, why do you discuss about bread? Have you not heard anything I was saying to you. Do you not have the right lenses? He asked them, do you not see or understand? Those words for see, the Greek for see and understand, to perceive with the mind. Do you not see with your mind? Are you not able to bring together, are you not able to perceive all that you're seeing? Do you not get it? Again, then he emphasized, do you have a hardened heart? That word for hardened like a callous? Is your heart calloused? Is it hardened to hear and understand? He says, have, having eyes do you not see? Having ears? do you not hear? Harkening back to Isaiah 6, 9 and 10, how Israel had hardened hearts. They can see, but they're not perceiving what they're seeing. They have ears, but they're not hearing it. Much like when you parents are talking to your kids, they're coming in and out the other. They're hearing, but they're not understanding. That's really bad. I'm sorry, kid. It's like when you kids are talking to your parents and you're trying to get their attention and they're, they're doing whatever they're doing and they're saying, uh-huh, yeah. They're hearing, but they're not perceiving you and what you're trying to tell them. Jesus says, and do you not remember? Remember? Are you not mindful of what you saw? Can it, does it not call to mind what you experienced? When I broke the five loaves and the 5,000, how many loaves of baskets or pieces were filled? Jesus pointing to the significance of the number of baskets. In the feeding of the 5,000. And he asked, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said seven. Again, Jesus pointing to the significance of the baskets in the 5,000 and the, 5, the 4,000. And then finally, he begins the questioning and he ends the questioning with, do you not yet understand? You're not getting it. Do you not, are you not seeing what is happening? What's going on? The significance of these miracles. Jesus warns them. What is he warning them? About having a hardness of heart and lack of understanding like the Pharisees and Herod. The disciples, they were at the the threat of having a hardened heart. They were not seeing what they needed to see. They weren't hearing what they needed to hear. That's a concern for all of us today. Even when we come to church, when we hear a message, or we go to read a Bible, are we hearing to hear and understand? Or are we just wanting to hear what we want to hear? Do we get so uncomfortable with the uncomfortable that we don't want to hear it anymore? The scene then shifts, and we see Jesus healing the blind man at Bethsaida. And he's confronted with the crowds of people, and there's people who brings a certain man. Mark is unique in bringing up this one individual who's blind, couldn't see. So the people entreat Jesus, can you heal him? Can you touch him? So Jesus takes the man, he brings him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and bring, laying his hands upon him, he asked him, do you see anything? And the man looked up, and he says, I see men, for I'm seeing them like trees walking about. In other words, he doesn't see it clearly. I don't know if I took my contacts out, and I had some of you walking in the parking lot. You would be blurry figures walking about, right? Then again, Jesus laid his hands upon his eyes and he looked intently and was restored. And he began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. So once again, we get a seemingly bizarre miracle by Jesus. He spits on the man's eyes and he touches his eyes. But what's unique about this time especially is that he touches him twice. Two times. Why did he have to touch him two times? Some commentators, they look at this and perhaps they say, maybe it was this man's faith. He didn't have enough faith the first time, but then after he he was touched and he saw a little bit better, he had more faith the second time. Some think that. I don't think that's the case. Nothing implies that. So I don't really hold to that as a possibility. What do we see about Mark? Seeing, hearing, understanding our themes throughout the book of Mark and what we've been looking at. Jesus repeatedly points out belief and unbelief, faith and doubt, right? So that's a whole theme that we see in Mark. So what are we to understand about these passages, these isolated instances, the feeding, Jesus talking to the disciples, and Jesus healing this blind person? Three things I want to take away from this. One, Jesus heals the deaf and the blind, while the seeing and the hearing cannot see or understand. Here's a theme in these miracles that are being pointed out. On one hand, Jesus is healing those who cannot see and cannot hear. At the same time, he's confronting those who can see, who can hear, but they don't perceive and they don't understand. The second thing we see is the gospel is open to the Gentiles. It's not just a Jewish thing, but it's open to both Jew and Gentiles, non-Jews. And thirdly, that Jesus meets the needs of those who believe while intending a greater meaning and purpose. The first feeding was partial, the 5,000. After the second, we see a completion with the feeding of the 4,000. The vision of the man was restored partially. The first touch, the second touch, his healing was complete. Even if you remember, the picture becomes clearer if you remember last week, the message about the Jesus talking to the Syrophoenician woman. What did Jesus say to her? He was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What was Jesus implying? The importance wasn't that Jesus was referring to the woman as a dog. What he was was referring to is importance first comes to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. I see that verse bridging both the 5,000 and the 4,000, bridging together. And What did Jesus eventually do? Of course, he answered the woman's prayer and the daughter's was free from the demons. Jesus' first going to the Jews was contextually and historically significant. God had promised to the Jews that this was going to take place. They would see the blind healed to see, the, hear, the deaf would hear. They had a promised Messiah. So it was important for him to come to the Jews to show him who he was and then that would be brought to the Gentiles. If Jesus would have just appeared to the Gentiles first, they would not have received it the same way. They did not have the historical and contextual significance as the Jews. He made the claim, this I am fulfilling my promise, and then it will be open to the Gentiles. You see, each of these miracles display God's grace and his mercy. But even more than that, these pieces, these individual moments are put together. And we see God's great tapestry, if you will. The great big puzzle piece, this whole picture together. Yes, Jesus is meeting the needs and the moment of these people who are blind. They had faith, they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe you can heal me. And they received their miracle. They received God tending to them in their moments. But what we also see, you take a step back and you see how God is composing this picture together. The bigger picture is the kingdom of God, the gospel of Christ, that Jesus is who he says he is and he is going to accomplish his purposes. And he's going to show us through these individual moments of who he is. And we put it together. It's this big picture of God's grace, his mercy, his gift of salvation for all who believe. What I love about this is in that moment, we could take it away from our own lives. We can see that in our individual moments in our life, whether there are times of joy or even the times of suffering, God could bring about meaning and purpose even through those moments for something greater and bigger that we can't imagine. For us to be able to see that, we need to be able to have the right lenses. I've said this before. Do you look at it through the right lens? Or are you seeing it through your own eyes? Because if we look at our individual moments, both joy and suffering is going to be blurry, right? We're not going to see it clearly. But if we trust God in our joys, in our suffering, in our pain, we say, God, in the midst of this, can I trust you? I will trust you in this, that through this, as difficult as it may be, you can bring meaning, you could redeem this moment, this experience, what I'm going through for something bigger that I, that I I can't control, I can't predict, I can't dictate. I look back in my moments in my life, in my marriage, with my family, there are plenty of moments that I wish was different. I wish didn't have to happen. And I won't say with absolute certainty that that is exactly what God wanted to happen in that individual moment because whether it's decisions that I made or not. But what I can say with absolute certainty is that His purpose and He brings meaning to the decisions that were made, to the things that happened and it plays a part in God's tapestry and His purpose and meaning will be fulfilled. It will happen. And I want to challenge us and, and use these passages as an example to, to show us in your individual moments in your life, in the struggles and sufferings that you went through, if you allow God to say, God, can you redeem this? Can I trust you in the midst of my struggle? Can you do something even bigger than my comfort level, even more than what I would want? God will carry it through. That's a struggle. That's tough. But sometimes we can't be stubborn, right? Sometimes we have to not be stubborn and put on those lenses that we need to use so that we can see a clip. Wow, that's what my sermon was about. You know? I'm taking it off. God is the great puzzle master putting the pieces together He is the best optometrist. Helps us to see things crystal clear as we need to see them. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and we thank you so much. We thank you that, Lord, in the midst of our moments, in the midst of our needs, Lord, you are working. You are doing things in us even in our times of struggle and suffering. But it's not just to meet our needs in the moment, but Lord, you're even doing things in a scope that's far greater than we can imagine. May we trust you, Lord God, in our moments. Trust you knowing, Lord, that you have a greater plan even beyond our individual needs. And yet you still Meet us with compassion. And you touch the areas of pain in our life. You touch those areas of weakness in our life. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's stand and let's...